You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your fundraising success and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. His books range from successful online fundraising to use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. And now, here's Ted. Good afternoon, and this is Ted Hart here on The Nonprofit Coach. We've got a great show for you today. It is Monday, May 24th, and I'm coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Our page two expert today is Mal Warwick. Uh, who is an icon in the fundraising industry. If you'd like to ask him a question, make sure that you dial in to 1-347-324-3080. Again, that's 347-324-3080. And if you're shy, remember you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always, we start the show on page one, and that's what the news. On to page one. Over here on page one, we start off with news just announced on Friday. Google is rolling out encrypted web search option. Over on CNET.com, you can read all about the details of how now you will have the option of being able to secure the searches, which means that those uh, who are trying to steal your data on the Internet are no longer going to be able to peek in on the keywords and the searches that you're doing. Uh, Google, of course, is responding to all of the criticism that they received for a failure uh, to recognize that they were gathering data on Wi-Fi systems uh, that were not secured. Now you'll be able to have this service not only on Gmail and Google Docs, which had been rolled out uh, earlier, but now you'll be able to have secure search on Google. Next up comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy, and this is a story that we've been covering here on the Nonprofit Coach for several weeks, and that is the deadline, which is now passed, of May 17, 
for charitable organizations who are losing their tax-exempt status because they have failed to file the last three years of their IRS 990 tax returns uh, for, uh, uh, for the 990 form uh, to the IRS, and this could affect as many as 300 or 400,000 organizations, many of whom are apparently just now hearing about this from the 2006 law that was passed uh, by Congress. Well, the IRS has a little bit of a reprieve here, particularly for smaller charities. They haven't exactly said what they're doing, uh, but what they have announced is that in the near future, they will provide guidance that they promise to do all that they can uh, to help charities not lose their tax-exempt status. Uh, but uh, Mr. Shulman uh, from the IRS has said that he does urge everyone to make sure that you file even though the, mail, the May 17th deadline has passed. If you remember on last week's Nonprofit Coach, uh, we provided to you a link uh, to a list of charities that are likely to lose their tax-exempt status. Of course, you can always find all of our links at p2pfundraising.org. That's the letter P, the number two, the letter P, fundraising.org. Click on Archives, and you can just find us in the radio links. That's true for last week's uh, database that you're looking for and all of the radio links for today. Next up, I really love this from Jocelyn Harmon's Marketing for Nonprofits blog. She's sharing with you six reasons your website sucks. And I really like this because it follows very much the advice that I've been giving for years in the lectures that I do called uh, Live Website Review. So go through and read but what she's pointing out are the same things that I've pointed out here on the Nonprofit Coach and in my lectures, and that is that you need to have pictures, not so much text. Make sure that you're trying to get people uh, to sign up for your newsletter. Make sure that you have a call to action. Make sure that you're updating your content. This is great advice, and it's, called, it's uh, in an article called Six Reasons Your Website Sucks. Over on Marketing Sherpa, we have a really terrific insight into how social media is being perceived at budget time. And for a lot of organizations, you may have just ended budget time or you may be coming up on finalizing uh, your budget depending on when your fiscal year is. Well, this is a terrific study that was done of 2,300 marketers taking a look at how social media is, uh, is reviewed. And even though social marketing is in its early stage of its life, Life cycle, a 7% confidence rating indicating that it's producing measurable ROI uh, and therefore is being funded liberally is really outstanding. Again, our advice here on the nonprofit coach is that there's a lot of basics that you have to have in place. You have to have a solid website and a solid web strategy before you really jump into social media. But for those of you who are out there that are a little bit more advanced, most organizations are conservatively budgeting for increases in their overall budget looking to produce ROI on uh, social media. Take a look at this. There's an executive summary of Marketing Sherpa's Social Marketing Roadmap Handbook, and I urge you to check that out in the radio links at p2pfundraising.com. This seems to be report day, and there's a number of important reports that have come out, and of course we're going to give you all the links here on the Nonprofit Coach. The first one up here is from Captivate. You're going to be able to find a report uh, entitled, Are We There Yet? 
and this is a study that comes out on nonprofit adoption of mobile giving. Well, as you know, here on the Nonprofit Coach, even though we saw a lot of mobile giving uh, with uh, the Haiti uh, disaster, uh, and certainly we saw that starting to come online even earlier than that, for most charities, pay attention to your website, pay attention to the details of building a sense of community. Then start looking at social media, then start looking at mobile. Again, this is an important study that just came out uh, from Captivate, and you'll find it in the radio links for today. I really like this next uh, uh, piece that we have here. It's the announcement of a new social networking site. This is really quite unique, though. This is an online neighborhood for kids and for the grown-ups that, that are in their lives. So, of course, it's a very sensitive topic, having kids online, but we know that they're there anyway. So I'm going to allow the folks uh, over at Togetherville uh, to give you uh, a little bit of a preview on their launch. Hi, I'm Carrie. Here at Togetherville, we bring the safe social web to kids and their grown-ups. We're busy working around the clock to develop the best kids' experience on the web, so I can show you around, but I've only got a minute. Togetherville is a place for kids to be themselves with their parents and the grown-ups they trust. It's totally safe, it's free to everyone, and it's super fun. Your kids like YouTube videos? We've got them. Things like music videos, extreme sports, cartoons, and entertainment programs like The Electric Company. Ours are hand-selected for awesomeosity and kidtacularity. The same goes for the games. Sure, they're awesome already, but we customize them for kids of any skill level, from random clickers to future spaceship pilots. A little dress-up time to super crazy taxi turbo 4 to nuclear fission balls. Togetherville kids can compete for high scores, send friendly taunts, and vie for the crown. All this doesn't even begin to broach the revolutionary social elements of Togetherville. Kids can send funny quips to each other, give virtual gifts to friends and family, and make and share works of art, all the while learning to be responsible little digital citizens. And since Togetherville parents have control over who their kids interact with, the kids can safely be themselves. No avatars, no anonymity, no virtual worlds, and no links out to other sites. Just awesome videos and games, and authentic social interaction with real people you know and love. Kids and their parents can live together. Kids and their friends can play together. Kids and their social web can be Togetherville. I really like this idea, and there really is no advice coming from the nonprofit coach today for charities, except for stay tuned, because we know that kids have a lot of influence over the charity in their families, and so I would really stay tuned with what happens over there on Togetherville. Now, next up comes to us from Mashable, and this is information on how to make the most of your Twitter profile page. This is really great advice, including how to do a better job with, your, uh, with, with the, the, uh, the background for uh, your uh, Twitter page, uh, including a link to TwitBacks, which is very easy to use and helps you create something far more interesting than Twitter itself. So check that out over in the radio links. Next up is uh, another giveaway. This one we're very proud to, uh, uh, to keep sharing these with you. Toms of Maine now has partnered uh, with the folks over at Volunteer Match and Network for Good and are now offering what's called 50 States for Good, and this is a giveaway for $100,000. If you're a nonprofit organization engaged in grassroots community projects, make sure you check that out over in the radio links at p2pfundraising.org click on archives, and then find the radio links. 
Next up, we want to just make a, a pitch out to our friends over at N10. They're always very supportive of the nonprofit coach here, and they're asking for your advice. Uh, there's a, sur- there's a uh, survey that they've put out, and, of course, we have a link in the radio links today. Uh, so check that out, and you've got a chance uh, to win a free registration to the 2011 Nonprofit Technology Conference, which is going to be uh, just less than a year away right here in Washington, D.C. So check out N10's community survey over in the radio links. Next up, it feels like it's about time. This comes to us from Tech News World, and Microsoft has just announced that they're bringing Hotmail into the 21st century. Of course, Hotmail is one of the granddaddies. It's almost like, you know, when you see somebody that has an AOL address, you wonder, you know, what rock they've been living under. But a lot of people still are tied to Hotmail, and it looks like there's some major upgrades coming. Of course, Google and Gmail has been eating the lunch of uh, Hotmail uh, for many a year, uh, but there are still some 360 million people using Hotmail or still having a a Hotmail account. So read about all the announcements that they have coming up, but they're claiming that they're going to have a lot of new organizational tools. Uh, They're going to have smartphone integration. So a lot more coming to those folks who have remained loyal to Hotmail. Check it out at p2pfundraising.org. Click on Archives and find it in the radio links. Uh, Next up here on the the Nonprofit Coach, we want to give an opportunity for our good friends at uh, Fundraising Day in New York, uh, an opportunity to tell you all about it. Of course, I'm very proud uh, to be speaking on June 11th at the Marriott Marquis in New York as part of Fundraising Day uh, in New York. And I think we've got Stephanie Thomas uh, here with us us to give us some updates and insight into the world's largest one-day fundraising conference, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Stephanie, are you with us? I am, Ted. Thank you. So hey, fundraising Stephanie, coming here on the Nonprofit Coach. What's going on in New York on June 11th? Friday, June 11th at the Marriott Marquis, we have a unique opportunity. There are about 50 sessions, educational sessions, that uh, run the gamut um, for executive directors, entry-level staff, people thinking of transitioning into fundraising. It's a great opportunity, Ted. You're speaking as well as 100 other faculty. And what I love about Fundraising Day is that there's more bang for the buck than any other one place in New York really centered around this topic. In addition to the sessions, we have Jeffrey Canada as our keynote speaker from the Harlem Children's Zone. I'm sure you've seen them on the commercials for the American Express program, and he is sure to be charismatic and inspirational. This is really quite a show, and it's a, 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 an incredible undertaking. How do you folks do it year after year to keep this fresh, attract all these speakers, and to continue uh, to be the largest one-day conference in the world? We have a great uh, roster of volunteers. We have about 60 people who work on this year in uh, every day throughout the year, and they really bring their daily work experiences to making the program content seem fresh. Like this year, I know, in addition to your session on social networking and online fundraising, there's a lot of sessions on social media and how to work, make that work for your program a very interesting case study about the Text Haiti campaign and more importantly what's happened since then to capture those donors and if that's been a success or not and a lot of great content. 
Well, this is a, an important educational opportunity uh, for charities if they can get to New York or charities that are in New York. Is there still room and can people still register for Fundraising Day in New York? They can still register. We have about 1,400 people coming so far, but there's room for hundreds more. Um, you can go to www.frdny.org or call 516-333-0681. Give us that phone number again. Sure. 516-333-0681. Terrific. And we'll add the link for registration in today's radio links. So if you didn't get a chance to write that down, that's frdny.org. Is that correct? That's correct. Terrific. Well, Stephanie, I can't thank you enough for coming and joining us here on page one uh, with the news here on The Nonprofit Coach. Best of luck on Fundraising Day in New York. Thank you again for inviting me, and thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. I'll see you on June 11th. See you on June 11th. Take all right, back here on uh, page one, just uh, wrapping up the news before uh, we uh, get on to uh, page two. We've still got a number of things to uh, share with you. Next up is an article. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Stephanie just mentioned uh, the uh, American Express, uh, and the, 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 uh, one of their spokespeople are going to uh, be the, the keynote uh, at, uh, at Fundraising Day in New York. And next up here in the news is from American Express, uh, and it's one of their articles on their open forum, and it's the top 10 YouTube tips for small businesses. Take a look at that over in the uh, radio links. Uh, next up, we've got a, a little clip here. This is, this is very nice. Uh, we have uh, Diane von Furstenberg, uh, who is involved uh, with YouTube on a very important activity. Uh, just a few more days uh, here uh, on uh, your opportunity to promote the video volunteers. Let's give a listen. Hello, I'm Diane von Furstenberg. When I think of Mother's Day, I of course remember my mother. She was a remarkable woman. She taught me that fear is not an option and it is a lesson I will never forget. This month, Vital Voices is teaming up with YouTube to put women at the center of the conversation and I'm asking you to start talking. Make a video for a woman's organization that you care about. If you can't think of an organization, you can find one that needs your help at youtube.com slash video volunteers. Submit your video by May 26th and we'll pick the top three to appear alongside Vital Voices video on the YouTube homepage at the end of the month. Right now, women of every country, race, religion, and social class are still facing violence, prejudice, economic barriers, and the subtle or not so subtle belief that they are somehow worth less than men. I support Vital Voices Global Partnership because they invest in thousands of women leaders in their communities who are standing up to make a difference and breaking down those barriers for all of us. I hope that you will join us and help all women realize their strength and their full potential. 
this is an important opportunity for nonprofit organizations who support women to make sure that they submit their promotional video for consideration by YouTube video volunteers. It's due on May 26. Of course, we have the link uh, over in the radio links at p2pfundraising.org. Click on the archives. Uh, but as we know, YouTube is one of the top websites uh, on the Internet, so having your content on their homepage could be a very important uh, move for your organization. So get underway, put together that video, and make sure you get it submitted on time. Uh, next up here on, uh, on the Nonprofit Coach, I want to remind you we've got a very important uh, page two guest expert today. Mal Warwick is one of the top fundraising experts around the world. So make sure if you want to ask a question that you call into 347 324-3080. When you do that, make sure you press number one. That will raise your hand on the switchboard, and that will let me know that you want to ask a question of our page to expert. Also, keep in mind that if you're a little bit on the shy side and want to email your question, you can do that by sending me an email at tedhart at tedhart.com. As I told you before, this is sort of the day of reports, and there's a new report out called the 2010 Social Media Marketing Industry Report. Uh, this is really quite good. I've read through all this, and there's a lot of very important information that's been put together by Michael Steltzner. Uh, this is, and he is it's sponsored by Social Media Examiner. So check it out. We have it in the, uh, the radio links. You can actually download uh, the full report, and it's definitely worth a read. The next report that we have here, before we get on to page two, comes to us from the Direct Marketing Association's Digital Tracking Study. This just came out May 2010. A lot of very important information uh, in, uh, this, uh, in this document. And again, it's, uh, it's sponsored by uh, the, uh, the uh, Direct Marketing uh, Association and uh, also uh, put together by their executive director uh, uh, for the tracking study. So make sure that you don't miss these opportunities. These are important reports uh, that help give you a broad sense of what's happening on the Internet and gives you data uh, to make decisions by. But now that uh, we've completed the news, it's time for page two. Mel Warwick has distinguished himself through his contributions to the nonprofit sector as an author, a consultant, and a very, very successful public speaker. He and I get a chance to see each other around the world at various locations because he's very much in demand. He's the author of a new book, Fundraising When Money is Tight, a strategic and practical guide for surviving tough times and, and thriving in the future. And that just came out March uh, from uh, Josie Bass uh, in Mal has, uh, has written 19 books, uh, which puts me to shame because I, I thought maybe I wasn't doing too bad as seven books. But this guy has a wealth of information on a variety of different topics, but is known to be an expert uh, in direct mail. So I think, Mal, you're with us? I sure am, Ted. It's good to be with you. And now it's great to have you here on the Nonprofit Coach. You've got a very long and distinguished career. Uh, you're an author. You're a consultant. You have a worldview of what's happening uh, in fundraising. And I know that you're very, very involved on the international scene, having just finished the IFC Online, which I think you were actually one of the creators of that program, weren't you? Yes, I, I, I chaired the event for the first two years, Yeah, last year and this year. 
That's terrific. How'd that go? We promoted it here on the Nonprofit Coach and, of course, uh, followed it on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, how'd that, uh, that program all online uh, happen? Well, it was three days of sessions, uh, 23 hours plus of programming um, across 12 time zones. Uh, we had uh, at least um, 40 countries uh, logged on to the, uh, to the uh, conference for, during the three days. We don't have a final tally of numbers from this year, but last year we had uh, 400 sites logged in in 42 countries uh, and, and an estimated 1,800 people who attended. Well, that's really phenomenal, and that's unprecedented in the nonprofit sector, isn't it, to have that kind of reach for a three-day online session? Well, to the best of our knowledge, this was the, the world's first online fundraising conference last year, and this year's uh, was uh, bigger and better. Well, Mal, you're used to uh, being first in a lot of different areas. Uh, you wrote one of the very first books uh, even mentioning fundraising on the Internet and then joined forces with me in writing the second edition to fundraising on the Internet. Can you believe that was 10 years ago? Uh, it is a little bit hard to feature that. It was actually, <clears throat> I hate to say this, uh, Ted, but it was uh, more than 10 years ago. It was well, like, yeah, for your original yeah, book. The yeah, the first one was, was 1995. That was, uh, yeah, that was yeah. the first book on fundraising on the Internet. And, uh, and yes, you're right, the second one, of course, was, uh, was 10 years ago. Right, right. So we wrote the second edition of that in 2000. It came out October of uh, 2001, of course, right on the heels on Sept of September 11. We all looked like we were super smart uh, in uh, identifying that something like that was going to happen. Of course, we didn't know that, but the book still sells. The topic is still hot. Uh, you've been a leader in this area. Uh, and, of course, your, your whole message is one of bridging online and offline. Give us some insight to what you're seeing around the world and how successful charities are in doing that. Well, I, I think that for the most part, uh, charities uh, both here in the United States and probably to a greater extent in other countries um, are a little slow to uh, pick up the, uh, the baton of integrated fundraising or cross-channel fundraising. And yet, we're, what we're seeing more and more uh, clearly as we observe the, the behavior patterns of uh, donors, both online and off, is that uh, it's very, very difficult to categorize individual donors as uh, habitual online donors, habitual direct mail donors, uh, habitual telemarketing donors. In truth, uh, those lines are becoming quite blurred, and we have been seeing, for example, that uh, one-time donors online uh, seem to be at least as likely, if not even more likely, to uh, give a second gift in response to a letter or a phone call uh, as they are to uh, giving a second gift online. Yeah, it's all about integration, and and I think we, we we've known that even even in the uh, in the offline world, you know, most donors don't view themselves strictly as a uh, uh, as a, a direct mail donor versus a special event donor versus uh, a phone donor. Um, so how do how do charities uh, meet this challenge? Well, I think that uh, it's simply a matter of, uh, of getting started. Now, the, the fundamental challenge, of course, is that pr pretty much every nonprofit organization I know has separate databases for their online activities and their offline donor activities. 
Uh, and it's, it's time to really begin looking at uh, solutions through software to integrate those databases. But short of that, uh, it's, it seems to me that the, the simplest step that uh, can be taken is to use the, uh, use the, the, the possibilities of, uh, of providing incentives online to obtain both uh, terrestrial mailing addresses and phone numbers from online donors. Uh, offering them uh, <clears throat> free white papers, for example, or or other mission uh, supporting incentives that will induce them to uh, to be, to give more information. It, it, the, one in the same time that engages them more in the organization, builds the relationship, and then provides us the means to contact them by uh, by mail and or by telephone. Well, and, and you just brought up a very important uh, topic for a lot of charities, and that is how do I get people to engage with me? Uh, and wh I think what you're saying is it, it's not good enough just to be a good cause. There's lots of good causes, but you've really got to have a call to action. Well, there's no, no question about that. And I, uh, um, I, I don't pretend that it is easy. I don't pretend that, that most people who visit your website or uh, respond uh, to an email they might have received from a friend of theirs uh, asking them to check out your charity. But uh, I do think that a, that a small and possibly growing percentage of people will take advantage of the opportunity to become engaged if you make it attractive enough for them. Uh, if you uh, use a combination of uh, surveys, polls, uh, self-quizzes, newsletters, uh, incentive programs, uh, contests, uh, there is, there's no end of possibilities. It does require a bit of, uh, well, uh, mental elbow grease, let's say. And, and you have to be social, isn't that right, Mel? I mean, you can't, you can't just put content out there. You have to engage people. You have to chat with people. You have to uh, build, as, a, as, a, as one of our, our earlier uh, speakers here on, uh, on the Nonprofit Coach mentioned, you've got to build that social capital. Well, there's no question about that. Uh, and, in fact, as the commercial uh, e-marketers are discovering and have been, have been telling us for years through such sources as uh, – uh, as uh, Marketing Sherpa that you mentioned earlier in, on page one, uh, that it's not enough to just observe the traffic and to count the number of friends or followers you have. It's very important to, in, to take opportunities to respond to questions or concerns that are raised and to engage your, uh, those people who are interested in what you do uh, in a conversation. And conversation will often lead to some deeper level of involvement. Absolutely. I, I agree. I want to just uh, remind everybody uh, that uh, over at tedhartradio.com, you can also join the online chat. And we have a number of people in the chat room today. And now we've got a question that just came up in the chat room uh, from uh, the uh, screen name Double Up in D.C. Uh, and they're asking um, specifically um, online direct mail, which is more, most effective? Well, I think, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I don't mean to be rude, uh, that's the wrong question. Um, I do think that it's, it's become patently clear 
that uh, the lion's share of revenue that is raised uh, for charities today is coming via direct mail. So it, it is a mistake to look at an either-or proposition and try to decide between raising money online and raising money by mail. For most charities, direct mail remains the cash cow in, in the individual fundraising program. However, uh, it's a mistake to think that uh, it would uh, that it's okay just to avoid uh, online fundraising because, in fact, uh, online fundraising offers multiple opportunities for you to engage your supporters, even if they don't actually give online. They are they are very likely to be online for some other reason. And in fact, the studies show that a majority of donors will actually go to a charity's website or go to a, uh, a charity watchdog website to check out the charity before they actually give a gift. And that includes people who have already given to the organization. Right. Of course, that's a study that, that came out of the Kellogg Foundation where they found it, that as much as 50% of uh, your nonprofit audience is going to go and check you out online before they decide to give. So having a strong online platform can very well be very important to the decision uh, to give through direct mail because that same study showed that even though people are going online, they're checking you out, the number one thing that they report saying that they're thinking of doing is making that gift offline. So making that gift online and your website right now today are not necessarily connected, but online and offline are very much connected. Yes, absolutely. Now we've got, uh, I, I think, again, I, I, with the switchboard, I don't always get this right, Mal, but I think that uh, uh, we may have a Skype caller here. Let me see if uh, we've got uh, the caller on the line here. Uh, one second. Do we have a Skype caller here on the line? If I've got that got that right, no, maybe maybe not. Maybe it's uh, a caller from area code two o two. Caller, are you uh, with us here on uh, the nonprofit coach? If I press the right button here, Mal. There we go. Uh, caller, area code two o two. So many buttons, uh, so little time. It's uh, so little time and so many buttons, but we do have another question uh, over here in uh, in the chat room, uh, and this is uh, specifically about uh, uh, they they say that they want to know about being sponsored. Is it a good idea, um, and uh, how does it work? Hmm, I'm not sure what the reference is to. Maybe it's uh, how how does sponsorship tie into uh, direct mail and online? Uh, do you work with other partners? Or you just send out the direct mail, just send out the emails. Well, again, I, I'm not entirely sure um, what the caller is referring to. Um, there is, um, uh, the, if what they're referring to is a, is perhaps corporate support, um, that, and, that may be it. Um, then. I think that there is a long-established understanding that there are pros and cons uh, to corporate support, uh, depending on what on the corporation. And it uh, is certainly very important for a charity to have a, a gift acceptance policy in place that will, will allow them to discriminate um, between the, the sheep and the goats to understand which companies uh, might be off limits for some ethical or uh, conflict of interest reason uh, and which ones might be very welcome supporters. 
well, a- absolutely. They're all also asking about direct mail costs, and direct mail costs are going up, and how does that relate to an overall strategic plan for, as you said, the integration of direct mail online and offline? Um, how do you work that out now that you know, direct mail continues to get even more costly and the response rates are going down? Well, uh, it's, well it's certainly true that, uh, that the costs are continuing to, to go up in, in uh, direct mail, as they are in pretty much everything else, uh, for that matter, everything else in, in fundraising. Salaries are rising and so forth. Um, uh, but I, I don't think that there, there is any silver bullet. Uh, the, the best advice I can give uh, about uh, keeping costs in check uh, in direct mail is, uh, is to make sure that you are targeting as well as you possibly can. Now, for example, most of the small charities that I've observed over the years that uh, have uh, direct mail programs that uh, typically may consist of a uh, of a newsletter that goes out two or three times a year and a uh, and uh, perhaps a uh, an annual appeal at the end of the year, possibly even two appeals in the course of the year. Now, most uh, so many of those organizations I've come across actually uh, continue to mail to the same group of people year after year after year without any attention paid to how responsive they are. So the biggest single way for a small charity uh, with a, a fundraising program of the sort I've just described to, uh, to uh, lower its cost in direct mail is to cut out uh, and stop mailing to anybody who hasn't given a gift in, uh, in uh, five years or longer and to uh, eliminate... It's five years. I often joke when I'm lecturing that, you know, even death isn't good enough to get off from some direct mail lists. Uh, Mal, we do have a, a caller here, area code 202. Uh, caller, um, I think I got this right here. Hold on, Mal. Okay. Uh, for the microphone to come up here. Yeah, caller, are you with us? Caller, area code 202. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, terrific. I'm, I'm You're guy. live on the coach with Mal Warwick. Go ahead. Oh, I, I'm the guy double up. I just started a nonprofit. I'm, I'm getting it up and running right now. I have to get some paperwork from the uh, IRS, but it's, uh, it's going on. But I always want to ask you a question about direct mailing. But uh, I have one more question to ask you. I don't know what, what, whether I should concentrate on, on working, trying to get money from foundations, uh, the government, or private, or, I mean, that's where I really need to, to, to get, get some insight on that. Where, where, is really, where is the money, really? <laughs> I don't know. Well, the reality is that uh, last year Americans gave well over $300 billion to, to charity. Uh, and uh, uh, more than 80% of that money came from individuals, about 75% of it from living individuals. The, other, uh, the, the difference is in the people who left uh, money in their wills to, to charity. So if you want to know where the money is, uh, you, you, you can't ignore the individuals. However, depending on the, uh, the character of your organization, uh, what your mission is, uh, yeah. well, how popular the issue is, how well-known your, your work is, what kind of track record you might have, what ideas you have for doing things differently from any other charity already in the market, 
you may find it advantageous to try to start with uh, with a foundation grant, uh, or if the work that you're doing is is consistent with and could be viewed as supportive of uh, some corporate business, uh, then perhaps it would make sense for you to uh, to look to a corporation for support. But generally speaking, um, it, in order to do the kind of uh, of small donor fundraising that uh, that Ted and I talk about through direct mail, through uh, online fundraising, through telemarketing, whatever, uh, you really have to um, you really have to have an issue that will resonate with the broad public, a popular issue that people are going to respond to, and a way to deliver that message to them in a convincing manner. Now, wouldn't wow. you? Uh, wouldn't you? This is sort of a, a, a piece of advice that I give to a lot of charities, and, and uh, this gentleman from uh, D.C., our caller, uh, I think is just starting a charity. And what I often try to help people understand is look at foundations as if they were the venture capital uh, for the nonprofit sector, and that's often a place to get started. You hone your message. You get the support that you need, but you have to keep your eye on that long-term support, specifically for the reason that Mal just mentioned, is that you're never going to sustain an organization for the long term simply on corporate and foundation dollars if you don't build that base of support from individuals where the bulk of the money comes from, then ultimately your organization is going to be in peril for fundraising. W- would you agree with that sort of generalization, Mal? Or, or do you uh, completely, have to completely. That's very good advice. Yeah, yeah. So, Caller, did, how, how did we do in terms of helping you understand where you place? Because it seems like you're, you're struggling with, do I do direct mail now? Do I go online now? Do I go to a foundation? Did you, does that give you a sense it's sort of all of the above, but you've got you to gotta time it? Well, he actually answered a lot of. He, he, I was sort of shooting after the foundations and the, you know the big umbrellas, but he's telling me that really the the, the money is in the people, and I really hadn't thought of that really too much. That's where probably where I should be going, trying to trying to do direct mail and, and trying to get money in that way. Uh, but I was told um, to partner with a sponsor. That's what I keep hearing from people here. That I should should get us because because my nonprofit is a little bit controversial, and I, and I'm, I, I keep hearing that I should work with a somebody a, a little bit bigger to help mm-hmm. me out a little. Well, bit. Mal is used so, to working with controversial uh, nonprofits. So, what what's your charity going to be uh, geared towards? Well, it's controversial. Uh, I'm a black man, and I'm trying to reduce the rate of out of wedlock children in the African American community, seventy eight percent. And I keep I keep I keep hearing I should work with Planned Parenthood, but I really mm-hmm. don't want to work with them to be honest. But that's yeah. the message I keep, I keep hearing from people. Yeah, well, it I think you may you're you may be right in in being cautious about Planned Parenthood. I mean, it's a uh, Planned Parenthood is an enormous organization, hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenues and. Uh, ultimately, I think thousands of staff members all over the country. So it might be a little bit, a uh, little bit too much for a startup nonprofit to to bite off. But the issue that you're talking about, while uh, certainly controversial in many circles in the African American community, uh, is uh, is still one that I would think many foundations would be very interested in learning about. And if you have some novel ideas about how to go about pursuing your mission, 
uh, I suspect you can you could get some support uh, from a foundation. Thing is, uh, I would suggest that you go to the Foundation Center Library. There's one there in Washington D.C. I'm, I'm certain, and uh, just ask for their help to uh, find uh, to identify the foundations, uh, particularly those in your area, that uh, have uh, uh, that have a history of giving in to programs that are that are related to what you're doing. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate. It. You know what? I actually like the way you guys are talking because I get a lot of negativity when I bring this up, and this is one of the few times I've heard. You know, you guys are more positive about ideas and things. I'm actually thankful. I'm actually. That people find that to be controversial, I would think that, that that's something that would have some fairly broad support. But I will also tell you, uh, caller, that uh, coming up here on the Nonprofit Coach on June 22nd will be Patricia Pascal, who is the director of the Foundation Center in Washington, D.C. So Mel just suggested that you get in contact with them. You can call right in here, uh, same number, on June 22nd, 12 noon Eastern, and you'll have Patricia live, and you might be able to get a little bit of advice uh, from her. But uh, caller, thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, today. We're going to continue here with the show. Thank you. Mal, it's uh, back to you here. Uh, we've got a, a big uh, chat going on uh, with uh, email and all sorts of things, so I'm just trying to stay on top of, uh, of uh, everybody here. But we have a, a caller uh, coming in to us uh, from Dallas, Texas, uh, who's specifically asking about uh, response rates for uh, direct mail and what people should be expecting uh, for response rates. Well, uh, I would say that if you were doing direct mail in the 70s or 80s, um, you're going to be disappointed. Um, however, if you're looking for industry standard response rates, uh, I'm afraid you're not going to get them from me. Um, this is the question that I'm asked probably more than any other about direct mail. And unfortunately, the only straight, uh, honest answer I can give to the question is uh, it depends. Uh, for one thing, uh, every mailing is unique, every organization is unique, and it is very important to know uh, the answers to a whole series of questions before you begin to think about what response rate you might actually get. Uh, for example, if you're mailing uh, letters to uh, a large number of people who've never given to your organization before and possibly may not even have heard of you, well, that's one thing. You're going to get a very low response rate, just generally speaking. I mean, I've seen anywhere from uh, one-eighth of one percent to uh, seven or eight percent in uh, those so-called donor acquisition or, or, uh, or uh, donor, uh, uh, donor prospect mailings. Uh, if you're going to be mailing to a group of your own donors, and uh, especially if you're going to be mailing to your very best donors, the people who have been most responsive over the years, then that response rate is very likely uh, to be dramatically higher, and it could be anywhere from, uh, say, uh, just a couple of percent, uh, and if with your best donors, maybe 10%, uh, to all the way to uh, 50%. Uh, I've actually now, seen uh, response rates that high. How do, how do charities make money when they're 
It sounds like what you're saying is sort of what used to be maybe some industry standards or maybe used to be things that could be counted on. Uh, Everything's a a bit up in the air and and not quite as solid as it used to be. So how do we budget? How do we plan? How do we utilize these tools? Well, you you can only budget and plan on the basis of your organization's uh, own experience. And, and that has never changed. Uh, that has always been the case in, in direct mail. When I started back in the late 1970s, it, it was the case. Uh, people would talk about uh, the typical acquisition response rate of 1%, but it simply wasn't true. Um, there, uh, there, there were generalizations made much too loosely, and that's been the case up until the present day. You will still hear people talk about uh, res- uh, acquisition response rate of of 1% and call that the standard, but it's it's simply not true. You have to be able to uh, you 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 advance some some risk capital if you're going to get started in a direct mail fundraising program. You put some money out there to to try the program, and you just reconcile yourself to the very sad realization that you may not get any of that money back. It just might bomb. Um, Or it might bring back a significant percentage of the money that you've laid out. And then with some additional capital in hand uh, and the successful first effort, you may be able to start building a program. Unfortunately, starting a direct mail program nowadays is is a very uh, difficult proposition. It's costly and it's risky. So it, it really is about integration. It's about utilizing a variety of different tools to be able to raise money that no longer can you just put on a show and throw a special event and make money. No longer can you just send out letter and make and make money it, any more than you can just send out emails and make money. That It's really by having a smart strategy of integrating these tools that charities really are able to raise money. Yes, exactly. Uh, direct mail as a standalone proposition is a loser. Uh, you need to be sure that you have a full-fledged fund, fundraising program in place to take good care of the donors uh, once they join you, and you need to be uh, you need to be prepared to communicate with them in every through every channel uh, that you have available, and that means specifically mail phone as well as internet. Right, and, and that's, a, that's a point that, that we keep putting across here on the nonprofit coaches, that there is no silver bullet. There never has been any silver bullet. That's why uh, fundraising professionals do the work that they do, because it is that art of creating a strategy that integrates all these tools together, that even though everybody wants email to be the savior or direct mail to be the savior or, or even Twitter to be the savior, none of them are and none of them have been. And, and Mel, I, I have to bring up, and you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this up because we had a little bit of fun uh, last May uh, over on frogloop.com. You had uh, uh, put out uh, a statement, uh, is direct mail dying or dead? And, uh, and of course, you, you said hogwash. We had a little bit of fun going back and forth. But one of the points that you made in that I thought was very good, and that is this is really nothing new, that, uh, that, that uh, just as people are saying that we're having difficulty with fundraising now, you pointed out 30 years ago there were discussions about whether or not those who were loyal donors during the Depression and World War II uh, would continue to give and what would come after that. And, of course, now we're 30 years later, and there's still discussions about how difficult fundraising can be. 
Yes, absolutely. No, I, I remember vividly the great controversy that swirled through the fundraising community back in the 80s um, that was occasioned by a very popular uh, writer who claimed, your donors are dying. And he, he harped on that theme through, uh, throughout the decade and into the 90s. And it was, uh, it, it was just, uh, it failed to recognize that giving that philanthropy is really more a, a stage of life question than it is a generational question. That uh, there is a philanthropic impulse in the American public that uh, seems to come into its full flower in middle age. Uh, that means uh, late 40s, uh, 50s, uh, and that, that regardless of which generation people may belong to, they all seem to end up becoming extremely uh, generous once they get into that, uh, that time of their life. And part of what we need to get across as a, a professional uh, group is to help charities understand that they're, they need to raise money now, but they also need to prepare for the future. Because when we're looking at the fact that 22% of online donors today are under age 40, uh, but yet only 4% of direct mail donors are under age 40, that there is a mix of these strategies that needs to be deployed, or in fact, a charity today and I'm asking you if you would agree with this, a charity today that really only relies on direct mail and is not starting to integrate online strategies ultimately may weaken their ability to raise money in the long term. Oh, more than weaken. I think that they are going to be in very poor shape in another five or ten years at the most. Uh, but, you know, Ted, there's, there's uh, another fascinating fact that came to light in or this year in a study that was released by Convio uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, it, it was a study, an in-depth study of a large population of online and offline donors uh, that, uh, that tried to determine their giving habits and preferences. And, uh, of course, they noticed that among the people who are of the, of the you know the the most mature the mature generation the World War One gener I'm sorry the World War Two generation uh, the people we call our silver surfers the the ones online we call our silver surfers well uh, okay that's fine um, those among those folks it's still the case that three quarters roughly uh, will uh, will habitually or uh, or prefer to give by uh, by direct mail even if the appeal comes online, and only about uh, a quarter of them will actually give online. But, there was a, but uh, if you look at the, the, uh, the youngest group studied in this, in this research project, the millennial generation, you discover that, that certainly they were much more open to, to giving online proportionately than the, than the mature generation but they, almost as many of them, 26% as, as opposed to 29%, preferred direct mail as compared to online giving. That is so that even for the very youngest generation studied, these, the, these young donors who are just now coming into the, the charity marketplace, direct mail is still an option and it's still a favored option and that is a very very significant and surprising bit of data 
Yeah, absolutely. And, there, and there's so many different ways uh, of looking at this, but I think we keep coming back to the point that you've made so many times, and that is it's the integration. Uh, because we have a study that uh, we covered last week on the nonprofit coach. Uh, that came, it was a direct marketing study that came out of the U.K. that was taking a look at what is the effect of Twitter and Facebook on direct mail. And what they came to the conclusion, or I came to the conclusion in reading their study, was that it's all about improving your odds that it's, it's not a direct line, that Facebook, therefore, I fundraise is not um, a, a true statement. Uh, direct mail, therefore, I fundraise is no longer a, a direct statement. Uh, but by putting all these pieces together, then you build that social capital, and people will give in a way that they want to give, uh, and that there's no sure thing. You can send a direct mail and they'll give online. You can solicit online and, and send them a direct mail and they may give through direct mail. But this particular study showed that, uh, as you were pointing out, different age populations, that 37% were more likely to give more than $250 if they were under age 35, if they were also on Twitter and Facebook, whereas mm-hmm. the effect of Twitter and Facebook for those over age 35 was only 8%. But overall, they were 46% less likely to give by direct mail. So we have all these various studies that tell us that I think a bottom line is people will give in the way that they want to give wherever they are, depending on what's easiest and how they're motivated. And it's up to the charity to utilize all the tools available to them to motivate in a variety of different ways. There is no I completely bullshit. agree. That's, uh, that's totally consistent with everything that I've observed uh, in, uh, over the years. Mal, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach, your wealth of experience for our our callers, our online chatters, and our our email folks today has really been outstanding. I always appreciate working with you, and it's great to have you here on The Nonprofit Coach. We're going to move on to page three. Thanks, Mal. Okay. Thank you, Ted. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is to let you know what comes next. Well, you know, how can we really follow up uh, Mal Warwick with all that information? We've got the Memorial Day holiday coming up here in the United States, and so we are going to take the week off. Uh, but our official advice uh, is to uh, pass along and listen to the podcast for today's show, which will be available to you later on today, uh, to make sure that everybody benefits from Mal Warwick's uh, uh, insight into both online and offline fundraising today. We're going to come back from uh, the Memorial Day holiday break on June 9th. Very special show. Don't miss this opportunity. We've actually moved the show. We're usually on a Monday or Tuesday. We're going to move to a Wednesday to accommodate the uh, national announcement from Giving USA. Nancy Rabin is going to be here. She's the chair of the Giving Institute and past chair of the Giving USA Foundation, and they've decided to use our platform, the Nonprofit Coach, as their official national launch vehicle. Of course, we're thrilled to have the opportunity to learn all about the insight from the 2010 Giving USA report. Join us on June 9th at 12 noon. Next up on June 15th will be Paulette Myhara, President and CEO of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Uh, she was here with us a few weeks ago to promote their international conference, which was held in Baltimore this year. Now she's going to be with us on page two as our internet expert, uh, as, as our page two expert. Sorry, she's going to be talking about fundraising online and offline and fundraising as a profession. 
Next up, as I mentioned uh, with our caller on page two today, uh, was uh, that June 22nd, Patricia Pascal is going to be with us. She's the director of the Foundation Center in Washington, D.C. Last up before our summer break is June 29th. Todd Cohen is going to be with us. He's the editor and publisher of the Philanthropy Journal. Now, as you know, the uh, nonprofit coach will take the summer off. We hope you all enjoy July and August, and we're going to come back with a bang in September. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a preview. Our first guest up coming out of the summer break is going to be Beth Cantor, Internet icon uh, for the nonprofit sector, expert in online fundraising and social networking, and she'll be joining us coming out of the break uh, in September. So over on, uh, uh, on uh, uh, page four uh, is a review of the P2P fundraising newsletter. And over on the P2P fundraising Today, we had the opportunity to promote our LinkedIn group, uh, which is well over 700 people. So make sure that you go to p2pfundraising.org and join us on the LinkedIn group. Everyone, I enjoyed being with you today. We're going to be off next week and back on uh, June 9th with our very special Giving USA report. Don't forget to join us right here on the Nonprofit Coach. Everyone, enjoy the U.S. holiday. Take care.
Hey, Mal, you did a great job. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. The uh, the uh, show will be podcasted. That should be ready in about an hour. We'll send you the direct link if you want to include it in a newsletter or anything of that sort. I'll also email you over all the guests that are coming up uh, in June before, because we're going to take July and August off. Uh, from the show and come back in, in September. I just don't think a lot of people are around to listen uh, in the summertime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, of course, it's available all over the world, and we have people listening to us all over the country. So, um, but uh, great, I, I, you did a great job. I thought the the caller added a lot of uh, interesting sort of spice to the show. Yeah, good, good. Well, thank you again for coming out to the show. We'll send you. Uh, a few pieces here or there, and uh, uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks, Mal.